0: A guy was walking along, and he fell in a hole. And, I mean, this was a big hole, major hole. And uh, the sides were too steep to, uh, to get out of. So he, he's down there. He's wondering what in the world he's going to do to get out. And after a little, way, way, after a little time, there's someone, he, he thinks he hears steps. And sure enough, there's somebody looking down over the, the hole where he's at. And he said, what happened to you? And he said, I, I don't know. I was just walking along, and I fell in this hole, and I, I can't get out. Uh, can you help me? And the, the guy said, uh, well, I don't know if I can really help you out of the hole, but I am a doctor, and so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take out my, my pad. I'm going to write you a prescription. I'll throw it down in the hole because you look like you might be hurt. So when you get out of the hole, you can fill this prescription and, you know, and and be helped out. That, that's the best I can do. So he, he leaves. He walks away from the guy in the hole. The guy has the prescription now. He's so frustrated. He just crumples it up and leaves it down there, you know, in the pit with him. Long, long time goes by. Nothing happens. Then he hears some more rustling up above him and he's, he says, hello? Anybody up there? Can you help me out? And the person peers down over the hole and says, Hey, what happened to you? I don't know. I fell in this hole. and I can't get out. The sides are too steep. Could you help me get out of here? The guy said, well, I don't really have anything to help you out of the hole, but I'll tell you what I can do. I'm a pastor. So I'm going to read some Scripture to you to encourage you, and then I'll pray for you at the end. I'll pray that that God does something to intervene to get you out of this hole. So he does that, and the guy's just sitting there like, Really? And he leaves, and the pastor praises God that he was able to be there at that time when that guy was in the hole, and he was able to be an encouragement to him. Goes along his way. Long time goes by, he, he's just thinking that, that there's no hope at all. He's just going to be there until he dies. And then, once more, miraculously, he hears somebody up above the hole, and so he calls out again, weak, weaker this time, Hello? Anybody there? And the guy peers over. He says, "Joe." The guy looks up. He says, "Yeah, yeah, it's me." And it's his friend. It's his friend that he knows. He says, "Oh, thank, thank God! I guess that pastor's prayer worked. Finally, somebody that I know that will actually help me." And his friend says, "Joe, just hold on, hold on. It's going to be okay." And he, he, the man in the hole looks up and he sees his friend starting to actually come down the hole. And Joe's like, "Wait, what are you doing?" No, no. And the the guy, his friend comes right down in the hole and he's down there with him. And he said, are you stupid? Now we're both stuck in this hole. What did you do this for? And his friend says, Joe, it's okay. I've been in this hole before. I know the way out. See, that's that's how that's how empathy works. That's how sympathy and, and empathy work. Sympathy says, I realize you're hurting. I realize you're going through a rough time. I realize you're grieving. I'm aware of that. And I I hate that for you. I, I feel badly for you that you are feeling bad. I recognize it. I recognize that things aren't good. Empathy, though, says, I relate. I relate to what you're going through. I, I not only realize your grief and, and that you're going through a hard time, I don't, I don't just realize your pain, I relate to it. I'm aware of it and I relate to it. I realize that I relate to it. Sympathy says, I'm here for you. I, I recognize you're going through a hard time, you're hurting, you're grieving, I want you to know I'm here for you. Empathy says, like the little story I've been where you are. I've been where you are. Sympathy is, I feel bad for you. Empathy is, I feel what you are feeling. And we all appreciate when, when people reach out, you know, and they, they seek to comfort us. We appreciate sympathy. We do. Um, especially when it's sincere and it's meant well. You know, we appreciate that. We appreciate when people reach out and and they seek to comfort us when we are grieving. But it always means even more, doesn't it? When the people not only recognize that we are hurting and they feel sorrow for us, but when they are able to actually relate personally to what we're going through. When when we know they have felt what we are feeling. It means even more, right? You've been there. You know what I'm talking about. When you have been grieving, or for those of you who still are, when you are grieving and someone that comes alongside of you, they don't just stop with sympathy, they're able to go beyond that, and they're able to to really just enter into your experience because they have had it as well. They know what it is to hurt the way you're hurting. Whatever that source of grief has been for you or is for you, they've been through it too. They've walked through it. They've been down in the hole where you're at and they know the way through it. They know the way out of that pit and that hole that it seems like you're never going to be able to get out of and that no one else has been able to help you out of. They've been there and they've gotten out. And so you, you tend to be drawn toward those people in those moments because it just means a whole lot more. When we have people that are able to actually Uh, know what it is to walk where we are walking. It's very healing. It's very healing to have people that actually share our grief. That's one of the many things, one of the many, many things that is so amazing about how God is in his relationship with us. There's a lot of amazing things about how God relates to us. But this is one of those very incredible things about how God is in His relationship with us. And that's what we're going to focus on today in the next part of our series that we just started last week. See, God is not just grieved by the sin that causes all of our grief. We, We talked about that last week. That's how we started this series. We said that behind every source of grief that we go through and experience sin is at the heart of that, that the original sin of mankind in the Garden of Eden just set the ball rolling with all the other sources of grief that we have. Every source of grief has as its source the sin of humanity. And we we said last week that God is most grieved by that. He's grieved by what causes all of our grief. But the really good news is He doesn't stop there. God isn't just grieved by the sin that causes all of our grief. What we find, and this is what we're focusing on today, what we find is that He is actually sharing our grief. God shares our grief. It's incredible. Here's what God's Word says uh, that lets us know that's true. Psalm 34, 18. Psalm 34, 18 says this, Yahweh is near to the brokenhearted. Isn't that in itself very comforting? Yahweh is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. There's no one like God, no one like the God that we have. A God who is so high and exalted and so above us and beyond us and so completely other than what we are, and yet He is so compassionate, so loving, that He will come down and meet us where we're at. For, those, for, for many of you today, that's exactly what you need to be reminded of, because you are brokenhearted. You are crushed in spirit. And if you're not right now, life shows us and has shown us enough to know that you will be. It's inevitable. There will be something along your path that wrecks you, that breaks your heart, that crushes your spirit. And it's in those times more than any other time, more than the times that things are good, that it is incredibly comforting and powerful and healing to know that even if no one else can come alongside and be what you need, that there is a God who can and who will. Yahweh is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And like everything else about God's character, all the invisible attributes that we can't really fully wrap our minds around and see and, and fully understand, like everything else about his character, we see this most clearly when we look to Jesus. And that's true of everything else about all that God is. Uh, that's what uh, we know that Jesus came to do. He came not just to save us, he came to explain and reveal all that God is. He is God. He's God the Son. And He, in His incarnation, in His humanity, came to show us and reveal to us all that God is. All of His character. All of His attributes. Everything we want to know about God, we find by looking to Jesus. And this This is true of that as well, that he is near the brokenhearted, that he saves those who are crushed in spirit, that he shares in our grief. We see that clearly and and visibly and personally by looking at the person of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus doesn't just know about our grief as God. We know he knows about it. He's God. He knows everything. He knows all things. So, of course, In His divinity, Jesus knows, He knows, understands, comprehends all about our grief. He he understands it all. But He doesn't just know about our grief as God. He understands and is able to understand our grief intimately and deeply because He experienced it as a man. That's, That's... part of what makes the gospel such good news and so beautiful. It's not that God just simply knows. Of course He knows. It's that God in Jesus experienced what we experience. He walked where we're walking. He went through what we go through. And so He's able to relate. He's a relational God. He's not a cold and distant and removed God like so many of the, the other uh, false religions in our world uh, uh, point to and have in, in terms of what their deity is, their false deity. Their, their deity, the other religions and, and philosophies of the world point to a very cold and distant and removed, calloused being. Friends, the Gospel shows us a, a God who is intimately relatable because He came down and became one of us. He experienced it all as a man. We know that again from God's Word and we see Jesus in that way in in God's Word. Isaiah 53, verse 3. This is a prophecy about Jesus hundreds of years before He came. And it so accurately pictured what Jesus would be like and what His experience would be. What would be true of Him. Isaiah 53.3 says this about Jesus, the suffering servant. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows, and, don't miss this part, and acquainted, familiar with grief. Certainly we are acquainted with grief. And the longer we live, the more acquainted with grief we're going to be. The more people around us go on from us. We certainly can be acquainted with and familiar with grief. And thankfully, amazingly, our God, our Savior, Jesus, is also deeply, intimately acquainted with grief. So He can relate to us. He doesn't just say, I'm sorry for you and the pain you're feeling. I know and recognize you're hurting. He says, I feel, I I have been there and I feel what you're feeling and I, I have actually experienced the hurt that you are experiencing. He was acquainted with grief and like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. I want to give you a couple of specific, very personal examples of how Jesus fulfilled that prophecy, how he he did live that out and that was true of him. In Matthew 14, 13, we read this. Matthew 14, 13, now when Jesus heard about John, that's John the Baptist, and what that's referring to is the death of John the Baptist. John the Baptist had been imprisoned by Herod. He had been kept alive. In fact, Scripture tells us that Herod, though he completely disagreed with what uh, John the Baptist preached and taught, he liked listening to him. He liked hearing him. He was intrigued. And so he would listen to him, and, and he was um, not willing, at least for a while, he was not willing to put him to death. But there was an incident that took place where um, his wife, who hated John, figured out a way to get what she wanted, which was John's death. So she got her daughter to dance for Herod and his guests on his birthday. There's a whole lot going on there. Uh, And it was such a pleasing thing to Herod that he said, ask me whatever you want, I'll give it to you up to half my kingdom. So she asked her mom, what should I say? And the mom says, ask for John the Baptist's head on a platter. So that's what she does. Harry didn't want to do that, but he's under pressure now. He's, he's now stuck between a rock and a hard place, like, what am I supposed to do here? All of his guests are there. They're waiting to see what's going to happen. So he calls for the executioner, and off with his head. Well, people come, the, the followers of John the Baptist, his disciples come, and they tell Jesus what happened to John. Remember, John was not just the forerunner announcing Jesus' ministry. He was also his cousin. There was a personal connection there. And we see that it was personal by what the text says next. Now, when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there, from the the city he was in, from all the, the people he was around, from the ministry he was doing. He withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself without a whole lot of detail there, which we don't really need to see this, we we see this shows us that Jesus was deeply affected by what happened to John the Baptist, his cousin. We see that, that Jesus was obviously personally grieving here. He was personally affected. You've been there. You've been there. Many of you are still there where... All the well-meaning words of encouragement, all the well-wishes, all the expressions of, of sincere sympathy, though they are appreciated, they just, they just aren't cutting it. They just, don't, they just don't do what is needed. They don't, don't give you exactly what you need in that moment. And there are times where the best thing for you is to just get away, right? Just to remove yourself from the situation for a while, to be Alone, to process things on your own, that's when grief is at its worst. That's when it's at its most powerful. When there's nothing anybody else can say that makes it better. And and the thing you want most is to just be away. We see that here with Jesus. What a picture, right? What a picture. Here is the maker of the universe. God Almighty, but God in flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And this is Him experiencing what it is to be flesh. This is His humanity on display, grieving at His heart over the loss, not just of the forerunner of His ministry, but His cousin. And I, I imagine. I, I just see. I see the grieving Savior, and I see him doing what we all do, which is when there's the loss that you feel, and you're you're overcome with the grief of losing that loved one. Without even meaning to or trying, what happens is a a movie starts playing in your head, and you go back over those special moments, and those memories are are in vivid color in your mind. And they come rapid in rapid succession, rapid fire. It's almost like you can't stop it. You're just you're flooded with those memories and those those special moments. And I see that happening with Jesus. I see him replaying in his mind. That time when Jesus was walking by, and John's disciples were there, and John said to his disciples, Look, look, there he is. There's the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. And all that that must have meant to Jesus. I I just see him in this moment as he hears about John replaying that in his head. And the time when John's disciples were a little concerned that Jesus was gaining popularity and people were leaving John and going over to Jesus and following Him. And, And John said, no, that's how it's supposed to be. He must increase. I must decrease. And did he, did he see in his mind's eye the time when he went to the Jordan? And there's John baptizing. And Jesus himself stepped into that water and John looked at him, his cousin, and said, what, what, what are you doing? No, no, I, you should baptize me. And Jesus said, permit it to be so for now so that all righteousness is fulfilled. And And he felt John's hands on his head, putting him beneath the water and bringing him up out of the water and seeing the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove coming down. And he heard the voice of his father, you are my beloved son. In you, I'm well pleased. All of that involved John the Baptist. And how many other special personal moments did Jesus enjoy with John as a cousin, as a, as a boy growing up with his cousin and playing and, and then those times of between ministry pressures where maybe they got away together and, and just enjoyed time as, as close cousins would. And all of that probably came flooding back to the man, Jesus. and He was so grieved by that that he just withdrew to that desolate place. Isn't it great to know That you have a Savior that knows grief that well that can enter into your grief like that. Isn't that good to know? Aren't you grateful for that kind of a Savior? I am. I'm glad that He understands more than anybody else. Here's another example of how Jesus really fulfilled what Isaiah prophesied would be true of Him. That He would be a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Last week we looked at John 11:34, and we saw that Jesus, it says, became indignant, literally snorted with anger, as he saw everyone grieving and mourning at the, the death of Lazarus. He was there, and he saw the sisters grieving, and the, the professional mourners were there, and, and the text said that he was deeply moved. And the, the Greek word there is embrymaomai. And that's where it literally means snort with anger. Embrima'omai. It's, it's intense. It's, it's, it's indignant and deeply stirred with outrage. And we, we said that that was because Jesus, the Creator, was seeing the effect of sin on His creation and, and it, just, it caused Him to be indignant at what sin was causing. It wasn't supposed to be that way. And He was angry at the effect of sin on those He loved and on His creation. But he didn't stop there with that emotion. In John 11.35, we read simply that Jesus wept. Jesus wept. John 11.35. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. It's the one that everybody likes to memorize first. Shortest verse in the Bible, but it's powerful. It's profound. Isn't it? Think about that. Jesus, God Himself, the Word made flesh, the One who formed the tear duct of the human eye, is Himself weeping. Jesus wept. It lets us know, that simple statement lets us know that Jesus isn't just angry about the cause of all our grief, rather, He shares our grief. And He shares the feeling of that as we feel the effect of it. He is angry, sure, at the cause of our grief, but He doesn't stop there. He also shares that grief, and He feels the effect of it that we feel. He's a personal, compassionate Savior. That means... That means that more than anyone else that you turn to, and, and I hope I hope you have a good network around you that you can turn to at any moment. I certainly hope that's true of you, that, that as you go through a hard time, as you grieve, as you are in pain of, with, with whatever might be causing that. We, we talked about last week, there's many different sources. It's not just uh, the death of a loved one that causes us grief. There's a lot of different sources of grief. And, and I hope that as you experience grief of, of one kind or another, that you have a strong support system you can turn to. I, I hope that you feel very comfortable and able to turn to this person or that person and, and draw comfort and encouragement from them. But listen, everybody, more than anyone else in our life, we need to turn to Jesus in our grief. Because He, and He alone, is the perfect source of the sympathy and the empathy that we appreciate and need. He's the perfect source of both. He gives both in equal measure. We can't do that. We will often uh, kind of concentrate on one versus the other. We'll be really, really sympathetic and maybe not so empathetic. Or maybe we're not as sympathetic as we could be or should be, but we're really strong on the empathy part. Jesus is the perfect balance of both at the same time. So we need to look to him. And and I know it, it sounds a little cliche, but it's true that no one comforts like Jesus does. No one comforts like Jesus. It's very true. And so we need to draw to him, and we need to go to him first before anyone else, and we need to go to him most. So I hope you're doing that. I hope you're experiencing the sympathy and empathy that He alone can provide more than you're experiencing it from anybody else. We also need to remember as those who comfort others, when people come to us, when they turn to us for that encouragement and support, the best thing we can do for them is turn them toward Jesus. Don't don't be giving them all these platitudes and statements. Uh, There's nothing wrong with a a nice encouraging quote. I'm I'm not trying to say that you you can't ever give them a, a good inspirational statement, but more than anything else, when you are comforting someone, turn them to the source of comfort, which is Jesus. So important. Here's what Scripture has to say uh, about that, uh, about why we should do that, why it's important to turn people to Jesus, why we need to turn to Jesus more than anyone else, and why He's able uh, to be so sympathetic and, and empathetic. What we have in Jesus, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Therefore, since, it's true, it's, it's fact, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us take hold of our confession. Why? Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but... One who has been tempted in all things like we are, yet without sin. Hallelujah for that. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm not trying to, to say by pointing you to this verse that it's wrong, that it's sinful to grieve, that it's, it's sinful to be discouraged, that it's sinful to even experience depression in what you're going through. I'm not saying that at all. That's not why I bring up this verse. What I'm, I'm, I'm doing by bringing this verse before you and the connection with what we're talking about is this, that sometimes it's possible in the weakness of our humanity to cross the line into sin territory as we grieve. That's possible. It's very possible to do that. We can go from grieving and, and questioning God to staying there and becoming bitter. And resentful towards God and doubting his goodness or his justice and turning away from him, and certainly in those things that's sinful. So it's entirely possible because we are sinful creatures and weak in our humanity that we can cross over into sinful territory. What is true of Jesus, though, is that he can absolutely sympathize and empathize with the full weight of our grief and the depths of it, but He never crossed over into sinful territory. So He's able to deliver us from that. When He was in the garden of Gethsemane, we're going to actually look at that um, as we go on in the series. When He was in the garden, He cried out with desperation and with agony. He said, Father, if it's possible, remove this cup from me. But remember where he, he didn't stay there. Remember what he said after that and how he ended. Nevertheless, not my will, but Your will be done. if we're not careful, we can wander into the territory of, of Job's wife, As he was going through what he was, suffering and in grief, and she said, Oh, just curse God and die. Be done with it. God's not good, obviously. Just curse him, be done. Or like his friends who meant well, his his counselors, who started rattling off platitude after platitude and giving them their own, uh, giving Job their own perspective on what was going on and Thinking that they were the authorities on the matters and making it worse, you know the best thing that job 's friends did when they were with him was the times they sat with him and said nothing that 's the best counsel they they gave. It went downhill from there. Job himself, who when all the stuff happened, his kids died and his cattle were, were stolen, and the all the the, the grief came into his. His experience in his life that God had allowed Satan to throw at him, he started off great. He said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And the the text says, in all that Satan threw at him, he did not sin. He said, can we expect blessing and not hardship? He didn't sin. But then as it went on, and as the suffering intensified, and, and the boils, and all the, the suffering was there, he started actually thinking that he was more righteous and just than God Himself. And he, he did go from experiencing grief and yet not sinning into grieving and sinning in his grief. And God had to confront him. And boy, did He confront him. Whew. You need to read Job. We, though, have a high priest who not only sympathizes with our weakness and one who has been tempted to go into that sinful territory of of saying God is no longer just and God is no longer good, but yet didn't. He knows what it is to be tempted to despair and and shake your fist at God and call Him to court and say, you're no longer just God. He knows what it is to be tempted to turn away from God rather than to turn toward Him. But He didn't do it. So He can deliver us from those times. Yet without sin. That's incredibly important. What does that mean? Verse 16 of Hebrews 4. Therefore, in, in light of that, because that's true, because we have that high priest who sympathizes, who empathizes yet without sin, even though he you know he experienced all that temptation to sin without sinning, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and Find grace to help in time of need. Because we have the high priest, we do. Because Jesus is the way He is. We can draw near to that throne of grace, that sovereign place of of grace, and find grace that we need as we go through what we just can't seem to, to perceive any way out of. We can find it. So, what does all this mean? Well, here's, here's the result of all of this that we've talked about up to this point. And listen, this is just as important uh, as what we've already considered. Actually, probably it's even more important to focus on this, this last part, the result of all of that. So, if you, if you have checked out, here's the time to re-engage, okay? Because here's the result of all these other things that we've talked about this morning. The result of all this can be found in 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4. Here's the application of all that we have just considered. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4. Very, very important, so make sure you focus as we start to wrap up. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4. The Apostle Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Isn't that fantastic? Father of mercies. God of all comfort. Blessed be that God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that, here's the purpose, here's why, God comforts us the way He does. Here's why we get the comfort that we get from God so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You see how that works? How that is connected? The God of all comfort, the Father of mercies, comforts us in all of our affliction. Whatever the affliction is, He comforts us perfectly, exactly as we need it. And it's not just for ourselves. It's not just so we can keep that comfort and say, oh, I'm so glad I'm comforted by God. Yay, me. It's we take the comfort that we receive, we turn around in and we give it to other people who need that comfort. That's why God comforts us. Our salvation, Christian, it's never just about us. And it's never just for us. Whatever God gives us and does in our life, it's so that we can turn around and be used by Him to do that for other people. That's how that works. That's the result of all of this. We get comforted, and then we give comfort. There was a 19th century French poet named Alphonse de Lamartine fun, fun thing to say, fun name. Wish I was named that. No, not really. But I mean, isn't that fun? Alphonse de Lamartine? And he said this, grief knits two hearts in closer bonds than happiness ever can. And common sufferings are far stronger links than common joys. Common sufferings are far stronger links than common joys. We can relate to one another through grief even more than we can relate to one another in good times. Grief is universal. The joyful, happy times aren't always. We can relate to one another. We are united and and can be actually stronger together together in our relationship through the hardship, through grief, through mourning, through suffering, unites us even more than the happy times can. But, but even more importantly than that, here's, I want to bring it back to Jesus. Because of how Jesus is, because of what He does with us, how He shares in our grief, how He relates to us, how He walks with us, through uh, through the times where we're walking through pain and through through suffering and through grief what that means for us is this we are most like our savior when we walk with the wounded and share in their grief do you want to be like Jesus do you i would hope so the fact that you're here tells me that at least some part of you does yeah, we should want to be like Jesus. Well, well, here's the thing. I'm going to say it again. We are most like our Savior when we walk with the wounded and share in their grief. Because that's what Jesus does. And that final thing I'm going to say, but please, please hear me. That, that walking with the wounded, that sharing in their grief, listen, that needs to continue. That needs to continue after all the memorial services and special times of focus are, are over and the everyday routine returns. We can be very, very good at walking alongside the wounded and sharing in their grief in the, the heat and the heart and the, the, the center of that focus of the, the grief and of the mourning and the, the celebrating of the loved one that they're mourning, you know, the time leading up to the death and, and then the time of the funeral and, and when all that focus is there, we're, we're good at that. We're not so good, unfortunately, many times, at the after from all of that. When everyday life comes back. And if you, if you have gone through the loss of a loved one, you know those times are actually the harder times. The regular living, the everyday stuff, the new normal, that's when people need their brothers and sisters to come alongside them the most. That's, it's the times like in the regular life after that loved one has gone on and the birthday comes up and the special event comes up, the anniversary, the Christmas, the Thanksgiving, and all those painful memories, the good memories, but which cause pain because they're not there when that comes flooding back. And it's those times when we need to rally around our brothers and sisters again. So let's make sure that we're good not just at the the high point of the, the grieving process, let's make sure we're not just walking with them then. Let's make sure we are good at coming alongside them after all that in the regular everyday. They need those reminders of our presence and our encouragement. We need to keep turning them to Jesus in the everyday stuff. Okay, Let's do that. Let's, let's walk with the wounded well as Jesus does, pointing them to Him as we do. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what we're able to see in your word. I thank you that we're able to see your heart, your mind by looking at your son Jesus. He really does show us all of your character, all of your heart, all of your attributes. So help us to see, help us to see who and what you are, Father, by looking at your Son. And then help us to follow His example. Help us to be like Him. Help us to walk with the wounded around us. Help us to share in their grief. But help us not to leave them wallowing in their grief. Help us to, help us to know the right way to turn them to you. To turn them to your Son may we be instruments of your grace and instruments of your healing. Thank you for being a God who doesn't just know about our grief, but who understands it deeply and personally and shares in it with us. We pray this with praise. In Jesus' name, amen.